Algar Productions. Welcome to the Post-Atomic Time Tunnel Podcast, with your hosts, Ron Algarwatt and Matt Robotham. Covering episode 16, The Revenge of Robin Hood, with Brian Lynch. Hi friends, well, we've watched shows we wanted to watch, now we have to watch shows someone else wants to watch. The second time someone else has wanted to, us to watch something. Yeah, Brian, you got you got you got two turns. I somehow. got uh, I kind of got three turns. How's that? USS Callister was basically Deadly Games. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but I enjoyed that. <laughs> it was about a morally reprehensible computer programmer. Yeah, who I makes can a see. Video no, game I... based on people he hates. I can see that, but uh, but it was mm, but it's good. I understand yeah, that's the difference. Yeah. <laughs> now I want to be I want to a... be clear right up front about this. I. Uh, enjoyed the time tunnel on a somewhat similar yet very distinctive level than I enjoy Deadly Games. Okay, yeah, you seem to have a, a genuine fondness for uh, time tunnel. Where, you, you whereas have a, Deadly you have Games a type, Brian. Yeah, no, Deadly Games like I like because it's terrible. That uh, seems like something you find in a dollar bin or on YouTube or something, like someplace that isn't very well traveled necessarily, and you're like, "Ooh, I wonder if anyone knows about this. What the fuck is it?" <laughs> That's a that's a very good description. Uh, whereas the time tunnel, I mean, this is this is a a uh, a television classic in many ways, um, and, but like, it is it is very bad. I, I mean, mm-hmm. for the time, mm-hmm. like we've watched two exemplary shows from back then. We watched Star Trek: The Original Series, obviously, of when course. we covered it, and mm-hmm. we watched an episode of Batman, which was great. But there were uh, lots of all other three of these uh, shows from the same year. Uh, they oh, appeared yeah, within, so. within months of each other. And I think each of them featured Lee Merriweather. Uh, yep. Yes, uh, in the Because uh, I'm pretty sure all the Batman. Cats women were on... Yeah, she was uh, the movie Catwoman. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah was, exactly. she wasn't on the series, but still, I yeah. mean, it counts. Right. Um, um, this... But I, what I'm saying is, like, those are, like, the uh, excellent examples of, of, you know, sort of genre shows from the time. And these, like, shows like this I would call more average, because there are definitely worse shows than this. It's mm-hmm. not good... But there's, I think this is probably your run of the producer. mill. This is yeah. definitely a show I would have watched. Yeah. This is definitely a show I would have watched in the 60s because there was nothing else on because they only had three channels. Yeah, exactly. And there was, like, as I understand that it's sort of a small boom in sci-fi and sci-fi adjacent shows. I believe Wild Wild West was on around back then. Mm-hmm. and um, some Wild West. Yeah. Uh, and stuff like that. So, like, you know, probably exciting to see whatever the hell these two got up to they were there are two of them right it's not just one guy yeah, Mike i think i mean i've watched the entire series like four times and um I, I i still have trouble remembering which one is doug and which one is jerry no it's tony, tony because tony, they said right. they said doug and tony so much that to me it sounded like dog and pony no, and that's and just Gary. what i no no it's dog and pony mm. it's a crossover episode <laughs> Okay, so we're structuring these a little differently because uh, we're going to be doing this for like the next 12 weeks and Matt and I just didn't want to just sit back and do nothing. Mm -hmm. So we will be summarizing these. We will take turns like we always do. And then the guest will tell us why they chose the thing. Mm -hmm. So let's start first. Matt, you tell us what happened in The Revenge of Robin Hood. And then after that, Brian, you can just uh, come in with uh, your why you chose this. Oh, yes. All right. So here comes Mike and Gary through the time tunnel. Mike, a brown-haired white guy in a turtleneck, and Gary, a brown-haired white guy in a suit. 
They are basically the same, and they have arrived in, uh, I want to say King Arthur times, but I guess it's actually Robin Hood times. Anyway, Gary crashes into the middle of a meeting between King John and Robin Hood over the signing of the Magna Carta. Yes, Robin Hood apparently invented the Magna Carta, so we're already learning something from this history show. King John has Robin Hood and Gary hauled off to the dungeon for some light torture, so it's a good thing Mike already crashed here and frees them both. Then there's a sword fight that lasts 20 minutes, and an elaborate jailbreak scene that lasts 36 minutes. And it's not a cool jailbreak, like they just saw iron bars while music plays very loudly. So Mike and Gary escape and leave Robin Hood behind, because of the three of them, he's the least historically significant. God, these guys are terrible time travelers. Yeah, I said it, you're terrible time travelers. So the boys arrive in, I guess, Sherwood Forest? It's woods, they go to the woods. And then Mike picks a fight with Little John for no particular reason. Mike gets his ass kicked, and they are suddenly made part of the tribe, Ewok style. Back at the castle, King John and the live-action version of Sir Hiss torture Robin some more, and then vow to never sign the Magna Carta. Ever! <laughs> In the woods, a bunch of dudes dressed like Lego knights attack, and Little John is poked with a tiny arrow through his giant quilted shocker-like vest. The boys rush him to, I don't know, some baroness who is actively counting her gold before they come in and might as well just be wearing a big sash with traitor written on it in large friendly letters. <laughs> Gary schools her on science like the dumb woman that she is and then Friar Tuck accidentally spills the beans on where all the barons who want the Magna Carta to be signed are. She runs off with this news almost instantly. Mike and his merry men head back to the castle to save Robin Hood while Gary stays with Little John to bind his wounds with a poultice. There is more thunderous horseback riding, and then Mike saves, Ro saves Robin Hood after some uh, another long-ass sword fight. Back at the Gary, Gary and Little John fight some more guards, defeating them with witchcraft, or as it's known today, science. Then everyone meets up back at the castle for a full-on invasion, and also so that Mike and Gary can use the electric glass saxophone that their friends from the future left in the dungeon so that they can go home. I guess we're playing by Quantum Leap rules? I don't know, I don't believe in Quantum Leap. So after another fucking sword fight and some more horse music, King John is captured and forced to cosplay as a Zoltan machine before signing the Magna Carta, which is a thing that, if you had asked me an hour ago, I would have sworn up and down was signed in the 1700s and concerned beaver pelts, which is what growing up with a Canadian education gets you. Having lost the glass saxophone, Mike and Gary randomly get sent to another time, which I at first assumed was dinosaur times, but no, it's a Japanese camp in the South Pacific during World War II, so let's get the fuck out of here before anybody does anything racist. Mm -hmm. So, Brian, why, why, why did you choose this? Please tell us. <clears throat> All right. I unashamedly and completely love this terrible, wonderful, terrible show. And in order to tell you why, I merely have to walk you through the premise. Now, for anyone who's unfamiliar, and honestly, why wouldn't you be, this is a 1966 Irwin Allen joint. Allen, fresh from his initial careers and Academy Award-winning documentarian, ruled science fiction TV in the 1960s, with shows like Lost in Space, The Land of the Giants, and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. As well as this, his most ambitious and his best series, and also his only flop. By flop, I mean it only lasted one season, and by one mm. season, I mean 30 episodes, because mm -hmm. 1966. That's how season uh -huh. rolled back then, yeah. So the show involves Doug and Tony. Don't bother trying to remember which is which, it barely matters. They are two alleged scientists who have invented a time tunnel and then more or less fall into it. Unfortunately, they'd worked out the putting things into the time tunnel part, but not so much the getting things out of the time tunnel part, and they have become unstuck in time. The rest of the show works to a familiar formula. Dog and Pony wind up at an interesting point in history, like the Baltimore plot or the signing of Magna Carta or the Italian front in World War I, but with some ridiculous twist. 
like that the Baltimore plot was an abolitionist plot, a ploy to start the Civil War, or that Robin Hood was at the signing of the Magna Carta, or that at the Italian front of World War II, the ghost of Nero was possessing German soldiers so he could kill the great-great-great-great-great-grandson of his assassin. You know, stuff like that. What? <laughs> yep. Anyway, Dumps and Toby then just sort of wander around punching things until they get shaken loose in the time stream again. They usually take some time to science, they're usually astonishingly cavalier with future knowledge, and they always get captured. Literally, every episode, they get captured. <laughs> this was not a one-time dungeon experience for them. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at Time Tunnel HQ, General Army Man and Dr. Catwoman watch the video feed and consult with experts to try to help them survive. So why do I love it if it's so formulaic and so ludicrous, and if Erwin Allen tried to tamp down on his famously out-of-control budgets by making extensive use of recycled sets and costumes and music and entire shots from other shows? Well, it's because of those things. There's something so winning about seeing these two lantern-jawed idiots lumbering around in the time stream, fucking up the siege of Jericho, pretending to be Billy the Kid, or exposing Russian sabotage at the first Mars landing in 1978. These are all real episodes. And the show just leans fully into every insane premise it comes up with. It's bonkers. Several episodes are surprisingly progressive for the time period. Several are not. Uh, there's loads of fun guest stars, and they always showed off just enough real-life history knowledge to let you know that they had done the research, they just don't care. In summation, Erwin Allen went on to produce two of the biggest films of the 1970s and got a second Oscar nomination, this time for Best Picture. So, he did alright for himself. <laughs> the main thing I know about him reading all the behind-the-scenes Star Trek stuff that I've read mm -hmm. is that Roddenberry wanted to be everything he wasn't. And whether or not this was a good thing, whether or not he succeeded, I don't know. But Star Trek, like, very much wanted to be the anti-Lost in Space. Gene I Roddenberry want succeeded by getting zero films. Oscars. <laughs> yes, that is true. What was that, Matt? I desperately want Gene Roddenberry and Erwin Allen to be actual foes in real life. <laughs> they could very well be. That's the very, second very season briefly. of Feud, guys. <laughs> <laughs> very, very briefly when I saw... They, there's a control room, and you didn't talk about this because it really had nothing to do with the plot they, whatsoever. They, it just doesn't matter. I will say No, this. it doesn't. The control room usually has more to do. Like, in the... Um, in the next episode, which is said is about the Japanese soldiers on uh, the island. Oh, so there is continuity, like the thing oh, they yeah, yeah. set the, up at the, the end of this one happens the in the next one? episode okay. is going to be next week's episode, which, okay. here we go again. myself for a second, the last episode ends with them landing on the Titanic, which means the show is effectively a closed loop. Uh, oh, Jesus. Um, well, they found out they weren't getting a second season, so they were like, well, might as well make right. sure that reruns can go perpetually. Um, <laughs> the, um, uh, but like in that episode, the control room brought in... Um, a guy who had been stationed on that island and had become an American citizen like years prior. And it mm -hmm. turned out that one of the soldiers that was there was his son who had joined the army because he was suicidal and he was doing this like most dangerous game thing and was trying to get Doug and Tony to kill him. Oh, uh, Jesus. And so the control room had a lot more sort of active role in that one, trying to uh, okay. sort things out. Uh, also, Mako uh, was in that. Now, how many glass saxophones did they send? Hundreds. <laughs> Awesome. I mean, if they if they built the prop, they definitely used it more mm -hmm. than once. But uh, what I was going to say was when we cut back to this place, uh, the very first time we see the, the woman sitting at the control thing, I thought it was Majel Barrett for about five seconds. She has the look that Majel Barrett had in the late 60s, and I believe she did a show that was not Star Trek related. And I was like, is that? And then I realized, oh, that's Lee Merriweather. Never mind. Yeah, I wouldn't have, uh, I, I didn't think of myself because I knew it was Lee Merriweather going in. But after I saw that in your notes, I went back and looked and I was like, yeah, I could see that. I mean, like I said, I I would not stand by like put a picture of the two of them next to each other. They're they're identical or anything, mm -hmm. but just just at a glance, I was like, is that? No, it's not. Never mind. <laughs> but uh, 
I don't know. That's actually my good thing was the uh, the control room. I just I like the look of that set. Like it's got I a love great design. old '60s giant computers reminded me of like the Bat Computer, mm -hmm. or you know, I think Gary Seven had something like that too. Like just, just of its of its time, very cool looking. Mm -hmm. That's all. The time tunnel itself looks really neat too. It's just got like a weird black and white swirl thing going on. Well, it's one of the only things they actually built for the show. <laughs> uh, so they, they definitely put the work into it. Uh man, I guess we're making this show called the Time Tunnel. We should probably build some sort of a time tunnel, I well, guess. Like I was telling you, like like the the whole idea behind like all of these basically the way he sold the show was by saying like this will be so much less expensive than I Well, that's why do. you do a time travel show oh, yeah. because there's standing sets for everything and there's mm -hmm. costumes and props all ready to go and you don't have to invent everything from scratch. Yeah. That was one of the well, things I was the... Oh yeah, go ahead. This is one of the things I always remember from reading, like, old Trek guides and stuff. It's like, oh, we got to go to some planet that's like Earth because we have all these props lying around and the budget's yeah, running a little low this week. That's why they kept going to parallel Earth planets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that, that mm -hmm. was the whole, like, sales pitch for the show. And honestly, that was his sales pitch for Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea also. He was like, it's it's all set on a submarine, so we'll have the same sets every single week. And then the budget <laughs> spiraled out of control. I was going to uh, say, that how many nights were they the, finding the... at the bottom of the sea, Brian? <laughs> That was yeah. one of the uh, the influences for uh, Star Trek, with the uh, the Enterprise sort of being the submarine mm. of uh, right to the bottom of the sea. Um, huh. But uh, yeah, no. He's, he's like, oh, it'll, it'll be great. We'll we'll be able to use all these costumes we already have. Uh, anytime we mm -hmm. need footage of a crowd scene, we'll just take it from another movie that we own the rights to. Which they <laughs> there did was in this, some, some there was definitely some badly integrated uh, stock footage in this. Well, yes, what, one thing that I, I particularly noticed was um, that um, they did not include Will Scarlet among the Merry Men, even though he's like a top-tier Merry Man. But mm. you well, this see is your bad thing, thing, right? Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's actually uh, my bad thing, um, is uh, this. Out of all the Merry Men that they have to choose from, they only give us Little John and Friar Tuck and then a bunch of Arrow Fodder. They give us no Alan Adale, no Will Scarlet, except in the stock footage wide shots when he's suddenly there. Not so much as a much... No, Marion? Come on, people. So in summary, my bad thing is the same as it is every episode, which is that Tony's 1960s pants are just horrible, and you can see <laughs> his underwear when he fights in them. <laughs> yeah, I swear to Christ, the fact, and Matt brought this up, the fact that one of them's in a turtleneck and one is in a suit, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, good, I can tell them apart. One of them's, like, the free spirit, and one of them's the, the all-business guy, and then, like, Except nope. that they're both all-business guys. I mean, that, these that's dudes sort have of no personality. Tony does slightly more punching. So I guess that's where Well, and one of them, them I would guess the other guy. I would guess one of them's the 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 action guy and one of them's the science guy just the guy if who I, makes you the know. bomb. Yeah, and his his first thing is when they're going to, you know, an apothecary, I assume, like mm -hmm. a, a cabinet full of ancient medicine. He's like, "Ooh, you can make a good bomb out of this." <laughs> what? That's your first thought, not not, oh, these guys, oh, they figured out willow bark is basically aspirin. These guys are onto something. Nope. Bomb. It was America in the 1960s, Al. There was a war on. A secret <laughs> cold war. No, it was a police action. It was not a war. <laughs> and there was, there were a few moments like that, actually. There was another one, and I, I can't find it in my notes right now, but uh, there's another one where he's, he's just talking about, like, all the horrible things he could do with chemicals and, like, <laughs> Jesus, would you, would you lay off, man? <laughs> You know, in the future, we're going to be able to use this to make your skin peel right off your body. Right off. Yeah. Good. Uh, Wonderful. seeping through the windows. Uh-huh. Now, I wonder if this show got to claim that it was educational. Because, you know, shows like this, if they have, like, a certain 
number of actual facts they can say, oh, this show's educational, therefore we get funding or we get aired in certain markets or I don't know what, you know, what the advantage is, but there is some advantage. Well, that was, I'm always interested uh, about how that works. Yeah. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if they were, if they, if they actively made that claim, but like I said, they, they did definitely put research into what they were doing. You know, you'd think if they were going back and doing an Abraham Lincoln assassination thing, they would do the famous one. Uh, but instead mm-hmm. they wound up doing the Baltimore plot, which is much more obscure. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, they did all sorts of, like, tweaking with it. Actually, a good example of the level of research they did and the, uh, amount they did not care about the research they did is right here in this episode. The, um, the, the very obvious traitor woman, mm-hmm. uh, is described as the Baroness of Kirkley's Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, she's, uh, in, in actual Robin Hood legend, uh, there's, uh, his final villain is the Abbess of Kirkley's, who is his cousin. Uh, oh. and, um, she, uh, he, he comes to her and he's sick. And so she's like, well, I'm going to let some of your blood out, uh, like we do back then and think it's medicine. Uh, but she just keeps on letting the blood out and he dies. <laughs> so Jesus. she's the one that successfully kills him. So they're like, all right, so we've got this actual, you know, not historical in this case, but folkloric thing. Uh, we're just going to, uh, barely use it. Also, but we in know terms about of... It. Historical accuracy, none of the actors, I think there's maybe one who pulls off a half-decent British accent, but most of the rest of them, like, I didn't think I'd ever hear a Scottish accent as bad as James Dewan's, but this guy's uh, the, the Little John. Jesus. He is incomprehensible to the fact that, to the point where this is my quote, like. Oh, okay, well, yeah, let's hear it. Hi, another I listened to that three times and I still have no idea what the hell the guy just said. No, and there are <laughs> some, like, actual scottish people who have such a thick you know brogue as they Mm. call it that you can't understand them it's not that it's an actor doing a horrible impersonation of that yeah right just like the excuse me the the russell crowe version of robin hood um oh yeah they had this they were like i guess they thought it was a clever idea which is that uh, they gave they had four merry men and they're like each of them is going to be from one of the four countries that makes up the united kingdom uh, so Allendale's right. going to be Irish, uh, Friar Tuck's going to be English, Much is going to be Welsh, and Little John's going to be Scottish. But all of they, they just hired it was well, Little John was Mark Addy uh, from Game of Thrones, mm. but the other mm-hmm. three were Americans, and they were all just kind of doing the same accent. <laughs> <laughs> like I only knew that uh, uh, Will Scarlet was supposed to be uh, Welsh uh, because he had red hair, and like, <laughs> that, that's a Welsh thing. So, is it? Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. I've been a redhead for 44 years, and I didn't know that. It's, more, it's, it's new every day, more huh? of a Welsh thing than a, uh, an Irish or Scottish thing, which is what it always gets associated with for some reason. Well, I mean, I am of Scottish extraction, so yeah. that's... But then I was, like, I was looking at like Little John, I was like, I guess he's the one that's trying to be Scottish? I don't know. Uh, and that's all, that's you would think way, making... Hmm? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that's another one where uh, Robin Hood had the Magna Carta hanging around. Seriously? Well, I mean, well in, maybe, the, in that one, it was sort of like a proto version of the Carta de Foresta, but, you know. Maybe someone looked at me. the historical timeline and said, what other interesting things were going on in England around this time? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's I it. Don't. There's only two interesting things about King John, and that's the Magna Carta and Robin Hood. And so, like, well, yep. might as well just use both of them. <laughs> Neither of them showed up in the Shakespeare play about him. Was there a Shakespeare play about him? It's famously terrible. I'm trying to see every single Shakespeare play uh, mm-hmm. on stage, and I'm genuinely thinking about flying to England over uh, my winter break because mm-hmm. they're doing it uh, in Stratford right now, and I don't know if I'm ever going to find another production being done. 
No, and if you're gonna like, if you see it in that setting, that's the best yeah, it's I mean, gonna if get. I've seen it in Shakespeare's hometown. Like, yeah, it's not gonna get any better than yeah. you know, right there. Never let it be said you won't go the extra mile for your deal, Brian. Mm-hmm. I respect well, that. I was very, I was very happy that in the other Stratford, in Stratford, Canada, they did King Henry VIII this year because that show's also garbage. <laughs> hey guys, take it from a drama teacher. Shakespeare wrote a lot of crap. I know. Well, yeah, I but would Matt, say you hate Shakespeare in general. Yeah. You don't like Shakespeare at all. I'm so amazed there wasn't that. a time tunnel episode where they went back and helped Shakespeare write a play. Nice play, Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about bad things. Brian, you did yours about the Merry Men. Yes. Mine is... No, no, no. It was about, it was about Tony's pants. Oh, sorry, sorry. About pants. Yeah. Thanks, Terribly, terribly sorry. Uh, so mine was about the action scenes in this show, which really reminded me of why I've hated action sequences since I was a very little kid. Like, there was a five-minute sword fight that consisted of two guys clinking metal swords into each other. Like, that's it. Clink, mm-hmm. clink, clink. Like, watching stuff like this when I was little, I had literally no idea they were trying to harm each other, much less trying to wound or kill each other. I swear to Christ, I thought the point of sword fighting was to go clink, clink, clink. I thought the same thing when I was a kid for the longest time. Ah, like, you why are they this doing this now? Sword. This is it's like a, it, to you. Yeah, it's like yeah. a dance that you do, but with swords. Yeah, I didn't realize you're trying to disarm the guy or cut his arm off or whatever. It's just, you just clink, clink, clink. And I'm sure part of that is standards and practices, but part of it is bad choreography and a desire to pad out stories because Mm -hmm. as Matt pointed out in his summary, it goes on forever. And just when you think it's over, they bring in another one. Like after that first sword fight, there's a fucking stick fight. Mm -hmm. And that goes on forever. I I mentioned mine because it dovetails with yours, which is similar, but different. Mm Mm-hmm. So related to Al's bad thing about giant action sequences, I was driven insane like I was in an Edgar Allan Poe story by what I continue to refer to as fucking horse music, (laughs) which blasted any time 80 extras rode around on horses, which was pretty much all they did when they weren't sword fighting, which they did often. (laughs) Okay, I was delighted to look, and I shared this on social media because I was so delighted Uh by your, your, your horse music. Please, please elaborate what is horse music the thing i kept thinking of was like that scene in monty python and the holy grail where like i think it's john cleese keeps charging at these two guards right mm-hmm. and like they cut back and forth and every five seconds is like they kept mm-hmm. doing in this episode these shots of horses and they would just blast this dynamic music, just like, and the horses are coming. So was it very repetitive? Was that it? It was very repetitive. It was very loud. And that might just be because uh-huh. I was listening with headphones in. But it's like everything is just sort of, I don't know, we're talking, we're doing something. I, um, mm-hmm. I did not recognize this music. I'm sure they recycled it from some other thing. Oh, definitely. Um, in any of their science fiction episodes, it's very easy to spot that they're using the music from the day the Earth stood still. Um, and occasionally well, some of the props and sound effects, and even once one of the actors, uh, Michael Rennie, was one of their celebrity guest stars. But, I mean, that's a pretty good poll. Well, what's the medieval version of the day the Earth stood still? I'm not sure why, because mm-hmm. I, was, I, was, I was listening for music from a Robin Hood uh, movie, and if that's what they got that from, I didn't recognize it. Um, I'm uh, I'm actually looking at my shelf right now and seeing. Maybe well, yeah, you probably the... have all of the Robin Hoods, I would imagine. Oh, hold on. All right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take you for a walk. I'm picking up my computer and going over. Uh, just over on my on shelf tour. right now, I've got 
uh, The Prince of Sherwood, The Story of Robin Hood and His Merry Men, uh, The Russell Crowe Robin Hood, The Adventures of Robin Hood, The Men of Sherwood Forest, Robin and Marion, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Robin of Sherwood, Seasons 1 and 2, uh, The Sword of Sherwood Forest, The Rogues of Sherwood Forest, The Bandit of Sherwood Forest, The Prince of Thieves, that's different than Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, mm -hmm. the uh, 1991 Patrick Bergen Uma Thurman version of Robin Hood, and Beyond Sherwood Forest, where Robin Hood fights a fairy that turns into a dragon, and Julian Sands is in it. <laughs> I mean, well, that one sounds cool. It is not. <laughs> so how how does all of this stack up then to the various versions that you're obviously very familiar with? It is in many ways. Uh, it's of a type. Horse music, not this exact horse music, but horse music shows up in all of them. I love the phrase horse music. <clears throat> and That's going to delight me for a while. Uh, incredibly sloppy sword fighting also does. Um, mm-hmm. If you've got a good, I'm trying to think, if you've got a good choreographer, they can make their way around it. Errol Flynn yeah. made a career out of sword fighting, and if you actually know anything about it and watch him fight, you, he barely knows which end is the pointy one. <laughs> like, watching him fight is like watching, like, a, a drunk guy get into a brawl, but a drunk guy that, you know, has seen a bunch of karate movies and is right. trying to be fancy. Uh-huh. Now, I will say, mm -hmm. as as far as, like, Robin Hood stuff goes... Yeah. The first time Dog and Pony meet these guys, mm -hmm. and they're like, "Who are you? What's your deal?" I'm like, "Jesus Christ! Look at them! This is the this is the the platonic ideal of what everyone thinks of when you say Robin Hood. Yep. They're all wearing the outfits. Friar Tuck's got the the haircut and the and the the, the monk suit. A actual and, tights appear in this show. Like, and yeah, but and the fact it's that... just like quintessent, like draw a picture of Robin yeah. Hood. Mm -hmm. This is what the, you would draw. Nine out of ten people would draw that and the tenth person would draw the Fox Robin Hood from Disney's Robin Hood with his dick out because that's how people are. I think but the other nine people would draw this. Now. But the fact that What's Tony... That? Oh, yeah. What's that, Matt? I, I, I think Matt there'd about. be more of those than you'd think. Yeah, well, probably. Yeah. Depends on what part of the internet we ask. Uh -huh. That's true. Um, the uh, the fact that uh, Tony like grabbed the uh, the quarterstaff and started fighting Little John, I was kind of like, oh, okay, so he knows the legend and knows that you know if you fight somebody in the Robin Hood gang and you do a good job, they'll ask you to join because that's how like eighty percent of the Robin Hood gang joined. Mm. The... Sidetracking again, Robin Hood is not the best at anything except archery. Um, and mm -hmm. even then, some stories say that Gilbert Whitehand was better than him. But that's the thing is, Little John is better than him at staff fighting. Friar Tuck is better than him at sword fighting. They all got in by beating him. That's not mm -hmm. his Friar Tuck's thing. Friar Tuck's thing, as far as I could tell, is running up to a dude and bouncing him with his belly. Yeah, there's a lot of those <laughs> that come up. No, he Which, uh, again, he... weird choice. The um the Friar Tuck origin story is that he was sleeping by a tree with some food, and Robin Hood came up and stole his food, and then made Friar Tuck give him a piggyback ride across a lake. Uh, and then when they get across, Firetuck throws him off, pulls out his sword and says, now you have to give me a ride back. And then they have a fight in the lake and Firetuck wins. This is a I strange not, legend. I did not realize how much piggyback rides figured into uh, old legends. Oh, yeah. in, yes. in that two appear? Well, yeah, I thought zero. <laughs> so this is 200% more uh, than I There's expected. also the, uh, that, that Russian fairy tale movie that I watched with Anton where a guy had to give Baba Yaga a piggyback ride. Oh my God, that's well, right. Was that uh, Jack Frost that was, that was covered Frost. on MST3K? We watched yeah. it in the original Russian. Uh, oh, boy. Well, it's a Russian New Year's movie, so you know, uh -huh. if I've got a Russian on my show, I might as well. Uh, it's my favorite mystery science theater. <laughs> it's a really it's good one of one the best too. ones. 
Yeah. Um, but what I was going to is, uh, you would, it seems then that he knows this part of the legend, and that's why he starts the fight. But it also becomes yeah. very clear that they don't actually seem to know who any of these people are, so... Yeah, I right? guess Tony just felt like hitting this giant with a stick. Well, that's what I figured. He just gets really mad. It's like, all right, I guess we're having a stick fight. I can't understand anything you say. <laughs> Have at you, Pally. Yeah, I think... I think that's the guy that I was talking about that, uh, and I found my note now. He mentions homemade nerve gas. <laughs> I think he's the violent, or there's like the fisticuffs one, and then there's the uh, destroy them with science one. They're both violent, but they're violent in different ways, would be my guess. And yet, have we talked about yet that one of these guys is uh, uh, Vic Fontaine? I don't know that we have. We talked about it before the show. Uh, yeah, I can't remember if that made it on mic, but it's it's good to point out. Um, yes, there was one actually, of the two uh, indistinguishable leads. There was uh, three uh, Robin Hood people in this one. Uh, well, not Robin Hood. There were three Star, Star Trek, Trek people. people in this one. Mm. Yeah. Because uh, the general back at Time Tunnel HQ is uh, the manager of K7. Uh, in oh, okay. Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, okay. And the uh, uh, Prince John was the uh, the civilian administrator in the Galileo 7, the guy who was mm. like, we have to leave them there. This whatever needs to be delivered. I'm, I'm taking over the ship under order whatever. Yeah. And Captain well, Kirk was like, fuck you. Well, and then you get Lee Merriweather also. Uh, and yes, and of course, she was a, a Star Trek person as well. All three of the Cats women, as I recall, appeared in some Star Trek or another. Who was Eartha? Which one was Eartha Kid in? Eartha Kid was almost certainly in one. I could, I, I'd have to look it up. But, <laughs> I don't uh, think she was. I don't. Yeah, I'm trying to think now. I don't. Because I swear we talked about this. Julie Newmar was in. Uh... Yeah, that one I remember. That yeah. was uh, Friday's 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 Child. Child. Uh, wow, if I search for Eartha Kit Star Trek, I'd get a bunch of pictures of Nichelle Nichols. That's racist. Yeah, I was, oh, that's I was awesome. just doing Good. the Nice same work, thing. the internet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, nah, looks like she didn't make it, but... Oh, maybe it was just the two of the three. Uh, well, anyway, Lee Merriweather was, mm. is, is the point. Well, Yvonne Craig was, maybe that's what you're thinking of. Mm, yeah, could be. Mm, yeah. But uh, in any case, yeah, lots of lots of cross pollination, which makes sense. It's you know, yeah, it's a certain type of television from a certain era that mm-hmm. you're going to see the same actors. Yeah, if if you look up um, uh, like James Darren on Memory Alpha, you know how they do that. He was in this with these other Star Trek actors that they do in every right. actor article on Memory Alpha. His is like he gets up that is like he played the lead in the Time Tunnel with, and then it's just this huge list mm-hmm. of blue names that follow who and all as, played as... some part on the original series. As disinterested as I am in Vic Fontaine, he is infinitely more interesting than um, than whoever this guy is. Mike or Gary. He has yes. He has a personality. So well, that's the thing. He never said the word "pally," so you'd, it's hard to pick him out. Yeah, I guess that's true. That is his only thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just real quick browsing through to see if any particularly notable uh, Star Trek stars were on. Oh, uh, Michael and Sarah, uh, mm-hmm. famed Klingon. Uh, was on and uh, yeah, and oh, also uh, the uh, the voice of uh, Mister Freeze. That is mm. true, and uh, Malachi uh, Throne, uh, who has a phenomenally good name. That's a great name. <laughs> he yeah, played um, uh, uh, Commodore Jose Mendez in the Menagerie, and oh, yeah. uh, he was the voice of the Telosians in the Cage, oh, and mm-hmm. uh, he was the uh, the Romulan ambassador in Unification. Oh wow! And his All name is things. Malachi Throne. Hmm. Uh, so, Matt, what was your good thing? Uh, there's a scene in this episode when they're attacking the castle when one of the merry men drops his arrow while he's trying to load it. Do you load a mm-hmm. bow? And it was very funny to me. You uh, <laughs> you knock it. That's it. Okay. It's I knew there was a word. Oh, and incidentally, Little John's quilted uh, vest is called a gambeson. Oh, his shocker vest? 
His shocker vest, yeah. I was I was sh- I honestly surprised that the arrow went through it. Stay shocked. I was shocked that the arrow went through it at all. That, yeah, <laughs> that that's more for uh, absorbing uh, uh, like blunt blows. You're supposed to wear it under armor. Right, like when Spider-Man punches you in the chest. Exactly. <laughs> and it disappears in the crowd. <laughs> Brian, what was your good thing? Uh, my good thing was this. As I mentioned, the show makes extensive use of recycled sets, props, and sounds. It can be fun to see if you can spot where they did that. Well, everywhere is the answer. Uh, but I did notice in this one that they actually had some new costumes, which were the guard uniforms. It's a bit odd that they would make something that they must have had some equivalent version of in stock. Uh, but mm-hmm. I thought it was cool that these were a very close approximation of the uniforms worn in the classic Michael Curtis Robin Hood movie. Uh, I guess they wanted to get them right. They're almost exactly the same, except they have a different quaff and they have a, uh, a lion on shield instead of a dragon. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe that was so that they could use them in uh, scenes of the guards and stock footage, uh, and maybe mm-hmm. they did, but not that you could see. Uh, so mm-hmm. in summary, my good thing is the same as it is every episode, which is when the folks at the HQ look into the time tunnel, it has camera angles and reaction shots for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> just like when Cobra would watch things like G.I. Joe headquarters, they just they would have someone editing the footage for them, I guess. <laughs> Isn't that what a televiper does? I don't know. I confused a Televiper and a Strataviper in one of my reviews once, and people are still yelling at me for it. I'm sorry to hear that, and I'm sorry that I've apparently reawakened that anger. <laughs> I know what it's like to be a controversial YouTuber, because I did that. <laughs> Were all the Cobra guys just called, like, something Viper? Yeah, I janitor believe, Vipers. I believe this was late in the series when they were starting to run out of names, and they had, like, sort of generic troopers, and... There was this viper in that. I don't know. This dude has an antenna. He's a televiper. Also, Matt, please, the janitor vipers were just called vipers. They had an entire episode about it because he came to vipe the windows. Yes, I am the viper. Okay, guys. (laughs) Just tell me when to stop. Arrow viper, air viper, alley viper, astro viper, avac viper, bio viper, Uh, cobra viper. That's enough. All right, fine. (laughs) But I am going to tell you kitchen viper because that is one of them. That's amazing. See, that sounds like a reality show where you have to please the Cobra chef, and if you don't, he will kill you. Okay, so who's side? Live from was... the Terradrome. So Our whose side was the ice cream soldier on? Dr. Mindbender. Which one? What's that, Matt? The ice cream soldier. Um, The ice cream soldier? Uh, uh, that's G.I. Joe. It's the only G.I. Joe thing I can remember, but it's a guy. No. He I, mean, for, I believe I think you, he but... worked for Cobra. Ice cream soldier. <laughs> I have no idea. Yep, there he is. He's red. Yeah. He had a flamethrower, okay. which seems counterproductive, but whatever. <laughs> you know, like yeah. ice cream. Ice cream. Uh-huh. Oh, they had the sludge vipers and toxo vipers from when they decided to do, like, a Captain Planet subline. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Like, gee, I just <sighs> saves the environment. I always just sure. felt like an excuse to sell action figures with, like, little things of uh, Ghostbusters slime. Oh, yeah. And yes, Ghostbusters in, invented slime. And if you put mm-hmm. them under hot water, then they would uh, look all blobby. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know that toy slime was around before Ghostbusters, right? I it was guess. a He-Man toy slime first, right? Yeah, I, uh, it was in stuff before that even, but mm. yes. I'm amazed that uh, Mego didn't do any time tunnel figures. I mean, they I did mean, everybody you just, else. Like, all you, you could make the same figure in a suit. Yeah, I'd make the same figure in two different sets of clothes. That's easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. And yeah, the playset would just be like a spinning, you know, uh, spiral, like minute of cardboard. Yeah. Just like comes folded up in the box. That's easy. Ugh, and then we could have had some twisted Mego theater uh, with time tunnel guys. <laughs> they could have hung out with a cast of chips. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, they're making Migos again, or someone's making figures similar enough that they might as well be Migos. They I are. Like, I every saw Glow Stop Dracula at Target yesterday. That's every time yeah. I go to Target, I'm, I just I always sort of poke around the toys by force of habit, and I was like, yeah, huh, me too. Somebody's buying Laverne and Shirley Migos these days, I guess. Yeah, uh, they had Happy Days it, it and they had me. Cheers. Just weird. <laughs> they're the new pop vinyls. <laughs> oh no, probably. We'll make them of everything. I mean, honestly, I would rather buy Migos of everything than pop vinyls of everything. A set of Twin Peaks Migos would be amazing. That's true. And the only BoJack Horseman figures there are are those those damn uh, 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 Funko Pops. Yeah, right. And like, I would much rather have like better proportion. I have only three Funko Pops. They are Mister Rogers, the teacher from Stranger Things, and Tywin Lannister. I am making the best League of Extraordinary Gentlemen ever. I have Bojack, Mr. Peanut Butter, and Todd. I, I stand by mine. See, I've got Agent Cooper and the Penguin, so. That's pretty good, too. Uh-huh. So, uh, guys who look good in formal wear is your <laughs> your theme. Yep. All right, what else? Are we um, not going to talk about hear... our, co- our, uh, our pop toy collections? collections I mean, we are, we are running a little short this week. There's, you know, not tons to say. It's a weird show because every, the the episodes are slightly longer because it's the sixties, so you get like fifty. Yeah, there weren't of as many commercials, and there's yeah. so much padding in some episodes. And this, uh, this is this I picked this one, you know, because this, this was the first you're one Robin I saw. Hood guy. Uh, because uh-huh. as as you can clearly tell, I'm a Robin Hood guy. This is actually my mm-hmm. second Robin Hood uh, piece of media I'm reviewing on this show because uh, mm-hmm. I did Cupid. Oh, that's um, right. But this is definitely one of the wheel spinny episodes. But then in other episodes that are like so like insanely like plot heavy, like that that Nero's ghost one that I mentioned, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, or the one where like aliens are coming back to steal all of Earth's food and also it's cowboy times. Sure, I was like say they like seem, was in history. They seem pretty dedicated to the science thing, like them, you know, using science to break out of the cell or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then there's ghosts. Oh yeah, they, I mean it's it's there's no. It's it's whatever they found interesting that week, basically. Okay. Um, and uh, some stuff is like they're doing, um, uh, like the the, uh, the the Japanese soldier one uh, next week uh, takes place just mm-hmm. before the invasion of Iwo Jima, but not okay. for any particular reason. I think just because they felt like mentioning it. Um, they uh, also maybe that's just a historical stamp, like a, a milestone that people know. Hmm. Could be. They also occasionally will send somebody into the time tunnel because they can get them out, just not Doug and Tony because of reasons. Um, So they send the the Harlem Globetrotters after them, but then they can come back out again. I'm trying to remember a specific... Well, there was that one time they sent back Carol Um, Uh O'Connor. To be racist at everybody? (laughs) Oh, almost. Uh, Okay, so this one, it was was the War of 1812. Uh, They were captured Mm -hmm. by the British because, of course, these guys cannot not get captured. Um, yeah, they get captured and put in dungeons as much as me and Matt in our old webcomic that no one's ever going to read. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they so they brought in a, Briti- a British army general, uh, played by Carol O'Connor. Um, and this, uh, sure, known for being British, Archie Bunker. <laughs> and uh, they sent him into he the fought time at the, tunnel. Uh, he fought at the Battle of Archie Bunker Hill, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh, if we send him in, we'll be able to be able to tell where they are and maybe we can get them out. And then when he gets back in there, he's like... Uh, hey, my my famous ancestor, also played by me, Carol O'Connor. Um, uh-huh. I want to help you win the War of eighteen twelve, and then they both get killed. <sighs> cool, okay. cool. Yeah. So, uh, in summation, I love this show. Time tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. 
I mean, I get it. I my you know my favorite show as a kid that uh, we covered on this show and mm-hmm. did not age very well was Voyagers! Exclamation point! Yeah, which I, was I, I kept waiting the for them to bump into those then. guys. That was yeah, a uh, it's, they they could have done a crossover. These guys could have met Gary Seven. Yeah, if uh, if Voyagers! Exclamation point hadn't been canceled, absolutely. <laughs> Gary Seven meet regular Gary. Mm-hmm. It's not his name. <laughs> This guy's Gary Eight. <laughs> oh. He looked like a did. Gary. They did the uh, no, they it's... did the Battle of Little Bighorn, um, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was impressively unracist. Um, huh. Yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't great, yeah. but it was better no, than but... you know that one Get Smart yeah. episode. Sure. Judging on a curve of 1966, mm-hmm. sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it was the same with the uh, with the Japanese soldiers in the next episode, like. I... I can understand I think, like, the, the the cringe of fear you get. Oh man, yeah, I, I think just... Matt and I had the same reaction to that. Just like, ooh, nope, nope, thank and, you. And the 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 epilogue is is weirdly long. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, the epilogues they have are like a, like a, a nice five minutes of wandering around. Like Sometimes they're really you can get a bonus setting up the scene. next episode. And yeah. I'm just I, I was worried that we were had just moved into the next episode for some reason. The thing is, there were shows from, I don't know exactly back then, but definitely 70s and 80s, where you'd like have these people wandering from situation to situation, and they'd land in the next one, and the next episode would then have nothing to do with mm-hmm. it. Like, I don't know why they bother doing And I, I assume the show would be like that. They but um, apparently there's actually continuity, which mm. is pretty cool. Yeah, no, they, they would always do a, uh, a very close, and, you know, like I said, sometimes when they were, when they were near enough, they would actually have, you know real-time ramifications on what was happening. There was, like, an episode where they went to, like, the 1950s. And I feel huh. like their best solution at that point would be to hop on a bus, get to Nevada, and say, yeah, hey, and just uh, wait. good to see you, us from ten years ago. This time yeah, tunnel right. that you're starting to work on. Let's, yeah. uh, we'll just lay low for a few years. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else? Uh, no, I believe that's it. Um, you know, I look forward to the, uh, next time, uh, you know, these these types of episodes come up. I've got some uh, fun stuff planned for you. Thought about doing another Time Tunnel episode, but... Well, I hope when we finish this, this year, that's it. Well, like, yes, I hope that happen, Star Trek yeah, is say. just around, but who knows? Well, because you'll have Picard and Discovery and Lower Decks at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other animated one. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And the short one that's going to be on like, Nickelodeon. Yeah, and, and, and the short, short tracks. tracks. Exactly. Which, by the way, yeah. I am crazy excited about this time around. Yeah. Yeah, right. And presumably now that uh, uh, Viacom and CBS got their shit together, maybe more movies, too. Oh, maybe. And, of course, in uh, three years, Disney is going to buy them. I mean, Un- undoubtedly. Yeah. I mean, if it's all just going to be one corporate pile anyway, I guess I don't really care which corporate pile it goes in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So... That's all for this time. Next time, Tidro is going to make us watch, and I say make us because I've already glanced at these. Oh, dear. Two two episodes of Dark Shadows. Oh, no. Which might as well be like watching one episode of Dark Shadows or 30 episodes of Dark Shadows because nothing happens in that show ever. I started watching Dark Shadows, and it's a fascinating look at the real-life stories of people who wander around staring seriously into the distance in an old Mm -hmm. house. But uh, she had some logic to it. We'll talk. Obviously, we'll talk about this sure. next week. But you know, you want to talk about Dracula's. I want to talk about soap operas. So this is the the very slim overlap in that Venn diagram. I mean, uh, that is you, true. If you wanted a Star Trek yeah. action, you could have done the uh, second reboot of Dark Shadows, where the vampire was played by Sarek. 
Oh. Current Sarek, I should say. I, not any I of you. Am, okay. I was gonna say, I'm a vampire now, Spock. Wait, is that the is that the one from the early nineties? Because I was into that show for about five minutes. Uh yeah, hold on. I'm I'm just looking it up. So I Ben Cross, who's the movie Sarek, played him in the nineteen ninety one version. Yes. 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 I got into that show for about fifteen minutes. So it was minutes not current Sarek, I was mistaken. Did Yeah. James Frank? Gotcha. No, James Frank did not ever play him. Wouldn't that be crazy if both Sarek's had wound up playing him in different reboots? <laughs> anyway, that's what's happening next week. Hooray! Um, Br- Brian, why don't you plug your fine program? Uh, yes, my fine program is called Tinseltown, the Holiday Movies Podcast. It is, uh, as the title implies, a podcast where we review holiday movies. Uh, we uh, recently did uh, Lethal Weapon, mm-hmm. uh, which is huh. uh, exciting because uh, that's something that people have actually heard of. And mm-hmm. we do a lot mm-hmm. of pretty obscure crap on that show. And I'm always happy when something that people uh, actually like shows up. Uh, and then uh, this week, uh, I believe posting the day after this posts uh, is going to be uh, The Ice Harvest, Harold Ramis' second to last movie. It is huh. not good. <laughs> <laughs> Harold, uh, no. I would also say that um, it's. I'm still very proud of the work that I've done here. I will say that it's uh, the first comedic reviewing I've ever done. Um, but you can check out robinhoodmovies.blogspot.com, uh, which was mm-hmm. a bunch of um, uh, reviews of Robin Hood movies that I wrote now, like 10 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still pretty fun. Uh, in fact, I did do one of that uh, Beyond Sherwood Forest, the one where he fights the Dragon Fairy. So if you're interested in more oh, about that, check it. that actually that, that got me my first ever piece of hate mail. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, it was from an angry Julian Sands fan that was very upset that I had maligned his otherwise, I'm sure, very stellar career. Well, how dare you, Brian? You know, all those yeah. movies he made that are full-blown successes that everybody loves, like Boxing sure. Helena and... Hey, Boxing Helena was, uh, ah, well, mm, no, never mind. Boxing Helena say, is one sure? of those movies where, like, you read about the development and they're like, starts out and they're like, this is going to star Burt Reynolds and, I don't know, Madonna or something, like two huge mm-hmm. stars. And then they just keep going and going and going and eventually they wind up at Julian Sands and Sherilyn Fenn. Yeah, but this was right after Twin Peaks and Sherilyn Fenn was like peak hotness and I was a teenager and she was naked in it. And I'm not proud of that now, but at the time. <laughs> you know, naked without any arms or legs. Well, before those scenes, but then Julian also Sands. after that. Yes. And also, it was all all a dream? uh, Sure. Uh, So why don't you tell the people how to actually get to your Tinseltown podcast? Because you never seem to do that part. Oh, I don't. It's on iTunes. Or uh, you can check us out on the web at Mm -hmm. holidaymovies.tumblr.com. Excellent. And yes. Our website is ever postatomichorror.com. You can write to us, postatomichorror at Gmail. Uh, Tumblr, postatomichorror.tumblr.com. We are on Twitter, at Algar, at RobotMatt. Uh, Brian, what's your Twitter? Do you have one? Uh, kind of. Uh, Tinseltown <laughs> Mayor. Tinseltown Mayor. I wasn't sure what the Twitter. official st- um, status of that was as, or what what we're as copying the running to gag here. Is, I have been banned from Twitter for saving a man's life. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> because somebody said that a certain politician saved a bunch of lives by not launching nuclear missiles, and I responded to him by saying, "Hey, I'm going to come to your house and kill you." Wait, no, I'm not. Aren't you going to thank me for saving your life? And Twitter was like, "Well, right. that's definitely a serious threat," and banned me. So I'm uh... Tinseltown Mayor now. Okay, so so if he's saving lives by not shooting nuclear missiles, how many lives is he saving by shooting l- nuclear missiles at a hurricane? That's the question okay. I want. We're I we're not talking about say that which guy. Politician, I'm talking about. <laughs> no. All right, that's all for this time. All right, see you, folks. The Post Atomic Time Tunnel Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. 
Copyright 2019. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this until Star Trek comes back.